is a Woodside Church podcast. Okay, so introduction. I'm just going to, some of you here won't know, it's a bit loud. Um, some of you won't know who I am. <laughs> okay, so a quick introduction who I am. So Richard married to Gaynor over there. Um, we came from London 19 years ago, joined Woodside Church, and we've been here ever since. This is our family. We brought our teenagers with us, four of them, who have all now all grown up, do the maths. <laughs> They're in their 30s, all got children, wonderful children. And uh, yeah, so we, you know, we love our family. I'm a family man, Gaynor's a, a wonderful mum, and we are, we're privileged of bringing our children up in this church. It's been amazing. All our kids came to know Jesus, all walking with Jesus, and it's phenomenal. I've got the most amazing grandchildren, I've got to say. And for those who are looking forward to having grandchildren, they're even better than you think. <laughs> okay so a little bit about my past so I became a Christian when I was 18 years old just after I became a Christian I joined the Royal Air Force as a military policeman and I served in the Cold War some of you won't even know what that is many of us do in Germany um, working on the nuclear bases there protecting our nuclear bases and then I left there having having really become quite a well, getting attached to some very amazing Christians out there who had a massive impact in, in my life. And from there, I joined the Metropolitan Police, where I served for 26 years. So a long time serving the country. Um, I love this country. I love community. That's who I am. That's part of who I am. So when I left the, uh, the police, I joined the King's Arms Project, And there I really got to know who I was. Prophetically, God said he was going to do that, and he really did do it, amazingly. So I joined the King's Arms Project, where I started something called Pathways to Employment, which was working, trying to get uh, homeless people into paid work. And that was a phenomenal, I loved it, and it was a massive training ground to what I do today. So I was there for five years, and then five, four years ago, I moved to Woodside Church, where I now serve those on the margins through Project 41, pastor and do other stuff. So that's who I am. So a little bit of um, background so you have an idea of who's up here. (laughs) Great. So, okay, so I'm going to start with prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, just thank you that you are a good God. Just thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. Thank you that you bring redemption to us. And as we confess our sins, you are faithful and will forgive us for our sins as we move on in you. Glorious grace that you give us free, free eternal life. It's a gift. And I want to thank you that came across today in the prophetic stuff. You are an amazing God. Thank you. I just pray as, as I preach your word, I pray that you would touch our hearts. I pray that everybody in this room right now will be given a soft heart to hear your words. Any calluses in the name of Jesus, we call you. Break them in the name of Jesus. Any calluses on our hearts and bring us hearts ready to receive your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're some of the way through. We're looking at Nehemiah 9. Okay, because we're quite a long way through now. So the, the, the wall has been built. Battles have been won. Unbelief overcome. Injustice has been targeted. Threats dealt with and rejoicing has taken place amongst God's people. And now is the time for confession. Chapter 9 is all about confession, 
leading to commitment. And that's the journey we're going to go on this morning. I hope we've got time. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to split the, um, the, the preach today into four headings. The Bible, God is a faithful God, confession, and God loves us. So point one, the Bible. Okay, so the people of God are all assembled. The wall's been built. They all come together and they stood in a place together and the book of the law of the Lord was read out to them for a quarter of the day and for a quarter of the day they confessed and worshipped. So the book of the law consisted of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and it was read out. So our modern Bible, of course, consists of the Pentateuch, historical books, poetic books, gospels, and the letters. And they are all God-breathed. They are all God's words. The Bible was discussed last week, but it's important at this point to say that as a result of the word of God being preached, the Holy Spirit convicted of sin of those who heard They were broken. They were broken as they heard the Bible being read out to them. Spending time with God and allowing God to speak to our very hearts is part of growing mature as a Christian, which is why I pray that God would open our hearts. Grow us, Jesus. Grow us. Holy Spirit, come and fill us and grow us. The biblical word is sanctification. It's huge, isn't it? It's about that long, that word. But what it means is a process of being set apart, made holy, which is an all-of-life work of the Holy Spirit. Or another way of putting it is a moment-by-moment process by which we more and more submit our hearts, our minds, and our bodies to following Jesus. When we look back at our lives, we will see evidence of sanctification taking place, changing in our attitudes, the dropping off of addictions, changes in the way we talk, swearing eradicated, sin dealt with, as the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of the God, the Bible, is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the Bible is really key in transforming us as the Holy Spirit works through the pages. No other book speaks to me like the Bible. It is alive and active. And many of us will say, as we pick up the Bible and read the words, they come up, they slap us in the face, they wake up, I'm here, I want your heart. That's what it does. And as a new Christian, I encourage you to read it. Allow God to speak through it. And if you haven't been a Christian for long, please do that. It's so important. If you've been a Christian for ages, please do it. You know, that's where I get all my refreshment from. Reading the Bible and spending time with Jesus. It's what helps me get up every day. It's what helps me to live my life. It is vital, it's vital as a Christian that we're nourished by the Bible and by the Holy Spirit. It's got truth, it's got riches, 
And as we meditate on it and discuss it with others, it changes us. And I want to encourage you to discuss it with others. It's really important that we get hold of the bones of our Bible, pull them apart, look at it, understand it in our context for today, but do it with a heart of love towards the person that you are discussing it with. Because we are one body, one people. Learning God's ways, listening to him, acting what he says is so important. And this is exactly what the people of Israel had not done. So I'm going to read that again. Learning God's ways, listening to him, acting on what he says is so important. And this is exactly what the people of Israel had not done. Point two, God is a faithful God. A few weeks ago in this very hall, the Holy Spirit brought people forward and people gave their um, witness of faithfulness. I can remember Gordon came up actually. Came up and talked about God's faithfulness to his people over so many years. I love this because this is the truth. God is a faithful God. It's a great starting place for us to worship, but it's a great place to us all to remember that God is a faithful God. In chapter 8, the Israelites celebrated the Feast of the Booths, remembering what God had brought them out of Egypt and what he'd done for them in the, in the actual deserts. And the book of law was read to them, and they fasted and put on sackcloth and placed dust on their heads And they wept as they remembered all that God had done for them and his faithfulness. Sackcloth was traditionally made of goat's hair or of wing coarse. And this was an act of submission, of self-humiliation. When I was at school, we had these horrible itchy trousers. I hated them. I was in a boarding school, sadly, but I was. (laughs) And on the Sunday, we were made to go to church. But the chair, we had to wear our best trousers. And they were horrible, horrible. I put my pyjamas underneath them. (laughs) Sweat pouring off me. But it was better than being itchy. So imagine what it was like to have goat's hair on you. I'd imagine it was the same. God, I'm sorry, you know. They accepted that they had sinned against God. And so had their forefathers. It was real and it was painful. As part of the process, they started to recount all that God had done for them. They listed his provision to them, but started at the most important place, that God was sovereign, king of heaven, maker of all things, sustainer of the heavens and earth, that there was no one like him, that he was the only true God. Our starting point. They reflected on God's relationship with Abraham and on God's promises to him, which had come about due to Abraham's faithful heart. That's what we're called to have, a faithful heart. And that God had made a covenant with Abraham to give him land and the land for his descendants. And then God changed his name to Abraham. They acknowledged that God had kept his covenant, his part of the deal. His part of the deal, but they had had not, or their forefathers had not kept their part of the deal. They confessed that time and time again, God had stepped in due to their rebellion and had punished the nation, heard, then heard their cries and prayers. He'd then forgiven them, fixed the situation, only for the cycle to continue again. 
Through chapter 9, God's character was revealed and honoured by the priests and people. They acknowledged that God forgives, he forgives, he continues forgiving, he always forgives. As the people confess that God is gracious and merciful. The people acknowledge this and fully admit that they're in the wrong and that God is always righteous. A great starting point for us too. The circle of sin is there to be seen. Praise God that he had a plan to put sin behind us once and for all. And we will see this as we move on. Chapter 9, the people list all that God has done for them. Freed them from slavery, divided the sea, cast those pursuing into the depths, spoke to them on Mount Sinai, gave them laws to live by, provided food and drink. You can remember the quail, you can remember the water, the the, um, rock being struck and water coming out. Remember manna, all those things. He provided that for them in the desert. Day and night he he led them by fire and by a cloud as they travelled in the desert Their clothes did not wear out. Imagine that. My jeans. I've got a pair of jeans. I've got a big hole in the knee now. I've had them for a year. That's it. Worn them out in a year. But for 40 years, their clothes didn't didn't wear out. The miraculous provision God had for his people. So many miracles from God because he cared for them, because he loved them, because they were his people and he was their God. It's wonderful that you know that the same applies for us today. Cast your mind back to all that God has done for you, for us. Think of the things that he's provided for you, for us. I can remember eating steak and pheasant when Gaynor and I first got married. We were a bit broke, to say the least. Luke came along our first and we were skint. But we were there eating steak and pheasant because God provided that food for us miraculously. God cares about you. He loves you. He is for you. And he is for me. The God of the Old Testament is still a God who is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. Thank you, Father. What are some of the ways God has demonstrated his steadfast love for you? Have you taken these things for granted or just forgotten them? You know, the other night, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning and I've been struggling with some disappointment. I woke up at four o'clock in the morning and I felt, I've got to go downstairs and I'm going to write a list. And I wrote a list of God's provision for me in my life. And the list was that long. My disappointments were that big. It was a real wake-up call to me. Because actually what happened is a slide of life was actually tilted God's way. He is, provides all the time. My little problems are up here, but God provides all the time. He is a gracious God, and I thank him for that. It's important to remember what God has done for you to help us keep thanking him and worshipping him. Doing this enlarges our vision of God, helps us to reflect on God's goodness and helps us to trust God for our future, knowing that he's always been there in our past. Number three, confession. In chapter nine, the people confess their sins and the sins of their fathers. Confession is a really hard thing to do at times. Sometimes it comes at an initial heavy cost. 
as we admit our failings. Bringing sin out into the light, bringing shame, some of the consequences of sin. Shame is described as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong and foolish behaviour. I don't know if you've ever felt shame. I felt shame and it is not nice. It is horrible. Shame can be caused by a variety of things. Childhood trauma, neglect, mental health, not living up to our high standards we set for ourselves or that others have set for us. Being bullied, experiencing failure, a victim of crime, the list goes on. Shame can also be a consequence of sin, whether it is our sin or sin that's been done to us. It affects our self-identity, exposes us uh, to our failings before a holy God and can lead to addictions, health problems, depressions and other issues. Adam and Eve were exposed to shame as they sinned and they separated themselves or hid from God. In chapter 9, the Israelites were very specific about what sins their nation had committed. They didn't just say, sorry, we are your people, we've sinned, but they named them. In verse 16, they admitted that they had a history of being arrogant. They, they said that they had a history of being disobedient and forgetful and from forgetting what God had done for them. They had been ungrateful, even though God had done incredible miracles for them. Their forefathers had even elected a leader to take them back into slavery. So God takes them out of slavery and they go, oh God, we want to go back into slavery. I mean, they, they, had, they had really ignored God and, and had not given God their wholehearted love. So they'd even practiced idolatry and all sorts of stuff. Naming and being specific about our sins and the sins of our fathers is important. This is because we are admitting them, humbling ourselves before a holy God and breaking the hold of sin that is on us through Jesus' blood. That is where our redemption comes from, guys. We heard it preached. They didn't know I was preaching on this. That's where our redemption comes from. Jesus paid the price of our sin on the cross. We are in a privileged position this morning. Praying and confessing the sins of our fathers is a strange concept. How can I be guilty of sins I've no control over? I was a policeman for 26 years, and I understand the concept of mens rea, R-E-A, refers to criminal intent. The translation from Latin is guilty mind. So it's at its basic level, a prosecuting solicitor needs to prove beyond reasonable doubt that the defendant committed the offence with a blameworthy and guilty state of mind. So how does that situation require our confession? In Exodus 20, Moses meets God on Mount Sinai and gives him ten commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You should have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You should not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. There's also Numbers 14 and Deuteronomy 5.9 who cover that. So the, so the effects of sin can pass through generations. Sin does have consequences. The good news, though, is that Jesus is the cycle breaker. He came to set captives free. 
Luke 4, verse 18 says, and Jesus stands up. We know this one, but I'm going to say it anyway. He stands up in the synagogue and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. The generation of Israelites in this passage were not present when these sins had taken place, but they knew they too were guilty of the same types of things, idolatry and lawlessness, or forgetting God as the generations had done before. They acknowledged that they too had sinned just like their forefathers, just like Adam, we also sin. It's an everyday human experience. We are no different and we too need to confess our sins and accept God's amazing forgiveness. Thanks to Jesus, we are forgiven when we know Jesus washed clean in his blood when we say sorry from our heart. Actually, you know, it gets better. But as you can see in verse 6, that there is a promise that if we love God, he will show his love to a thousand generations of those who keep his commandments. As many of us know, forgiveness is a free gift. We've heard it this morning. We don't deserve it. It's given to us. It's grace. God is a graceful, loving God. So what part does confession play in your Christian life, in my Christian life? Are we putting our hand up before God and generally confessing our sins and asking for his forgiveness? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Unconfessed sin or secret sin grieves God, damages us, eventually affects those around us. If we see the effects of sin passed down to us, healing prayer is a great way forward. Cutting off the effect of sin in Jesus' name. If this would be helpful, then please do contact the church. We'd love to pray with you. Section four, we are his children. I love being a father. I love my family. They are so special to me. I know that I would do anything for them that would bless them. And I would forgive them whenever they needed forgiving. Why? Because they're mine. My flesh and blood. I loved them from the first moment I saw them. This relationship with my children really helps me when it comes to understanding God's love for me and, my, and God's love for you all this morning. He made us in his image. We're the work of his hands. His breath, our breath. If we go to our Heavenly Father and ask for forgiveness of our sins, freedom and shame, he will forgive us because he loves us. And because he loves us, he sent his son Jesus to pay the price of our sin by offering up his life as a sacrifice to pay for our sin, freeing us from sin and shame, nailing them to the cross. It's wonderful. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has come, the new is here. When we give our life to Jesus, acknowledging that he died for our sins and rose again on the third day, Jesus moved into our hearts, made us new creations. 
He gave us a new heart. Through faith, we have been born again. I love that, born again. We are now new creations. The old has passed away and the new has come. We have a new heart. Jesus lives in us through his Holy Spirit. And sanctification, that big word, starts its work in us. In order for a person to be saved then, the heart must be changed. This only happens by the power of God in response to faith. It says in Romans 10.10, With a heart one believes unto righteousness. We are now God's people enjoying being part of his family, adopted into his family, grafted onto the vine. Israel is the vine, but we are grafted onto that vine. The promises are given to Israel, now are ours also. Ezekiel 36.24 says this, For I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from the countries, and I will bring you back into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Baptism. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all your idols. Jesus' blood cleanses us. I will give you a new heart. We are new creations. I will put a new spirit in you, the Holy Spirit. I will remove from you your heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. A new heart, because we're new creations. And I'll put my spirit in you, Holy Spirit, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's our response. Remember the response the the people in the Old Testament had? Our response is to keep his laws. We have been changed from the inside out because Jesus lives in us. We are walking in the good of God's promises to his people. So application, let's reflect and thank God for who he is. Spending time with Jesus every day. Brushing the pathway of life clear and free of clutter and of sin. Daily brushing that. Building relationship with Jesus. I love spending time with him, Jesus, in the mornings. I look forward to it. It's a precious time. But I know that doesn't work for you all. When you have a young family, how can that work? When you do shifts, how can that work? When you have really busy lives, how can that work? Individually, we need to find ways of spending time with God that works for us in our situations. He has designed us to be in relationship with him, spending time praying, listening, reading the Bible, Worshipping our core relationship builders with God. If you're not growing as a Christian, are you applying the aforementioned practices? Let's reflect, number two, let's reflect on and thank God for all that he has done for us. A list may help, it really helps me. You could write a list, save it to your phone and periodically work your way through that list thanking God and adding to the list as you see God's goodness worked out in your life. Let's be honest with God about our sin and ask him to help us to be more like his son. Look and be honest about generational sin. Can you see any traits that need to be nailed to the cross? 
Let's be involved in the healing of the nations and communities, working with the broken, the marginalized, our friends' brokenness. Let's be prepared to get alongside them and ask Jesus to break into their lives and bring freedom as he promised he would. Putting things right can mean having difficult conversations with people where there is a breakdown in relationship. God has called us to love one another as he loves us. Again, this is painful, but we are called to be peacemakers. I was at a conference a couple of days ago, and God spoke to me in that conference. And I saw a picture. I was walking along a road, a pathway, my pathway, our pathway. And on my left was some woods, and it looked foreboding. It was full of danger. It was dark. It was unpleasant. On the right-hand side, there were pastures, green pastures. And walking next to me was Jesus. But you know where I was looking? Was I looking at Jesus? Was I looking at the pastures? No, I was looking at the woods. And I felt Jesus say, why are you looking at the woods? I'm right next to you. Do you not trust me? Do you not put your faith in me? I'll take you to the pastures. And I wonder if he's saying anything like that to you this morning or saying something to you this morning that requires an action. For my action was to trust Jesus and to look to him for everything as he provides my needs. So are we putting our trust in Jesus? Are we looking to him for the answers? Are we walking along the path acknowledging that he is there with us along the journey? Marion, I think you brought, where's Marion? I think you brought something about the path this morning, walking along the path. Said, you know, we are called to walk along our path with Jesus alongside us, leading us. There was a song about our guardian. He leads us. He's next to us. He's there with us all the way along, taking us to green pastures, restoring us, going through difficulties with us. He is there the whole of our life. There's no point that he's not there. No point at all in our lives when Jesus isn't there. He is always there. Sometimes we just need to look for him. The people in this story presented by Nehemiah had taken their eyes off of God. They'd forgotten that he was there on the pathway of their lives. They'd taken him for granted, gone straight off onto their own paths. They'd lost their way and gone against his ways. And now they had realized that what they needed to do was to say sorry and walk back and acknowledge God with them and put their trust in him. And it's no different for us today. It's a challenge to us. I'm challenged. I've been a Christian for years. I'm still challenged. Jesus is saying to me, why are you looking at me? You know, this isn't just, this is for us all. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You know the most important part of reboot, in my humble opinion, is the reboot of relationship we have with Jesus. That is the most important thing. Spending time giving our all to Jesus, recommitting to him, trusting him, spending time with him. It's all about him. In fact, we even said that this morning, didn't we? 
Someone might know this. It's all about him. It is all about Jesus. It always is. He is always the answer. There's no better place than to be in God's presence. There's no better place to be sitting at Jesus' feet. There's no better place to be than worshipping Jesus. So my question to you this morning is where are you on that path? I knew where I was on that path. I was looking in the wrong direction. Where are you this morning on that path? Are you in it completely? If you had a ruler, 12-inch ruler, where would you be in regards to your commitment to Jesus this morning? Are you at two, four inches, eight inches? Are you full in, full in? Because that's what God wants for us. And he's a gracious and loving God. He knows that we will mess up, right? He knows we're going to mess up, but that's why he sent Jesus, to pay the price of our sins. So we can go back and say, sorry God, I messed up, forgive me. I'm starting again with you. I'm looking to you. So what I want us to do is I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm just going to give you 30 seconds just to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in regards to my relationship with Jesus this morning? What are you saying to me? Is there a response required for me this morning? So I'm just going to give you that time. But before you do that, I'd say, Holy Spirit, just come and fall in this place. Present yourself. Convict us of sin. Come and refresh us as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Jesus, we love you. We are sorry when we take our eyes off of you. When we forget all the stuff you've done for us for our lives and we have this little nagging, a little moan over here without looking at the big picture, the big picture of your love, your goodness, your faithfulness to us. We're sorry for that. We recommit ourselves and say, Jesus, have us all. Have us all. Help us to hand all of us over to you. Holy Spirit, continue your work in us, transforming us from the inside out. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.